All right. Wow. Wow. It's uh, 7.54, Thursday morning, December 19th. And uh, this is the first episode after the last episode. The first episode after the last episode. This is Buddy's owner, Arizona Schnoodle Walks. And uh, in the last episode, I made a commitment to to get focused, to write, and I'm making some good progress. And I like the progress I'm making. It's Thursday morning. I might finish this book by Sunday. I don't know. I'm, I'm on track. I might even do it on Saturday. And that's like well in advance of the goal. And the goal, if I just say this is a good lesson on goals versus systems. So I set up a system, two sessions of writing. I was overly ambitious and had three sessions, but I only, after I did three days now of two sessions a day, I see that's enough for me. So I do two, a session in the morning. So I'm going to get started here this morning, do a session, I'm going to exercise a little bit and then do another session in the afternoon. If I do that a couple more days, I'll be done. So I just felt like, you know, it's 41 degrees out. This is that time of year in Arizona where the sun doesn't come up until 727 today. Probably about 730. And uh, so in the morning, it's kind of weird. It's like dark, right? And we don't change our clocks here. So we get a real natural transition. The rest of the country, for the most part, will do this funky daylight savings time change. So you get a, you get a whole hour adjustment, which kind of throws off the body clock. So, you know, if you want clear thinking people with lots of clarity, you got to come to Arizona, man. This is where it's at. This is where the desert breathe in the air, not a cloud in the sky, a moon up ahead, a half moon, as I looked up, because there's nothing else in the sky to look at except for blue airplane, and Bud's out, he's ready for a walk, <laughs> what a dog, what a great dog, and uh, his hair is nice and long, and Oma's coming over, Oma, so if you have any German heritage in your family, that's that's a, that's what they call grandma, granny. But the Germans got a nice three-letter word for it: Oma, Oma, and Opa, Opa. Sounds like a Greek thing, which is perfect for Eric Metaxas. Eric Metaxas, East. Well, I shouldn't say East German. She's his mother from Leipzig, 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 <laughs> which became East Germany in like 1945, 47, I don't know, somewhere in there. And uh, she left the uh, East German system in the 50s, I think, went to New York or Connecticut or something, and then her, Met a Greek guy. And so that's Eric. He's Greek-German, dude. What a combination. Why did I think of Eric? I don't know. I guess I've been listening, I was listening to him yesterday. Working out at the gym. 
And, uh, yeah, so what's the, so what? Systems, I've got two systems now, working out, writing, and, oh, i got a third system. And my morning re- reading. So today's morning reading. I'm starting a new cyclist, a new circle, new six, new series, series. So the uh, process is to read through books a chapter a day. So today's the resurrection, people. Maybe that's another reason why I feel motivated. Morning. Hey, bud. So a uh, little paint truck getting ready to paint some stuff here. And, uh, yeah, so today's a resurrection, people. John chapter 20. That's how I start the cyclus with the resurrection. You've all heard about it, right? It's like you hear about it, but you know about it. But does do we let it sink in? Does it sink in? Huh? Oh, yeah, resurrection. Oh, yeah. Easter. Yeah, that's next year. It's every day, people. Every day we wake up is an opportunity to be resurrected in mind, spirit. So you just read it. <laughs> and it's kind of funny because I noticed today, and this is where people don't, If you, it's like an attitude or a mind shift or a framework shift where if you read the Bible as just like, well, it's the word of God, it's the inerrant word of God, as if there's some kind of like secret code and then all these writers went into some kind of like trance and just penned out. Um, the exact dictation from God. And it's like, no, that's not how it works. It was personal people with life experiences that enter into their morning, enters into their uh, writing. So John's writing this, and it jumped out at me today again that, uh, well, not again, but this, this, uh, appreciation that there's real people writing these things like people like you and I, you know, we call them the 12 disciples or, you know, we put them in these categories and elevate them to some kind of special status, but they're just humanoids like you and I are. So we should read it that way and think like a writer a bit, like here's John writing this is his gospel. And he, he writes in a different style. It's him. It's, it's, it's him. It's his personality. So he talks about um, Peter. You know, Mary Magdalene sees the tomb empty. So this is like Easter in December in Arizona. So she uh, comes to the tomb. And empty. And she's like, hey, man, they, they took him. They took him away. Now, I will divert for a second on, because we know there's Matthew, Mark, and Luke have their own accounts of what happens. And there might be some um, contradictions or differences. I don't know. But I'm not that interested right now in getting all hyper-analytical about it. I'm just going to trust that John has got it to the best of his recollection, as they say. Because I think he did a good job. So, I mean, it's not that he did a good job, because I don't know, but I'm just saying, I'm just telling you, he writes what he... Yeah, so I got interrupted by a telemarketer. Dang, that was 
didn't like that. I don't like that. But uh, it is what it is, man. Telemarketer. So I'm back. We're talking about uh, John writing what happened. So Mary's like, hey, they took him to, to Peter and the other disciples. So this is what I thought was funny. So like people say like, well, never, never write in the third person, man. Don't just don't write in the third person. It's just so rude. But here's Jono. No one told John. So he, he says, Mary came to see Peter and the other disciple. And it's like, oh. And it's not, which other disciple is it? There's like 11 others, right? Or 10 at this point. So it's like, oh, though the disciple whom Jesus loved. Oh, okay. That would be John. Oh, okay. So, I don't know why. See, this is for the people. Do people not see the humor in the Bible? I mean, it's like, it's right there. But normally when we hear the story, it's like Easter Sunday. And we're sitting in the pew in some official seminary graduate with a degree from some theological seminary who knows Greek and Hebrew. He, he's like standing up there and, you know, pontificating, you know, and saying things like, well, when Mary came and said they took him away. Then he, she came to Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> so that's typically how it's read in church, right? You know, it's like you're sitting there and you're like Easter Sunday best. But it's an important, it's like a massive important story every day of the year right it's like that's how we that's how you really show up at work right when people say well show up at work well you come with a a spirit that is alive because we are alive and that's life people and john didn't write this book so that dudes could like sit in ivory towers and study the crap out of it and dissect every word. He's just writing it down what happened. You know, I know it's like the inerrant word of God inspired by God, you know, but let's not overdo it, people. Let's like get real to our life. I'm walking Bud, Bud right here, my do- a dog in 2019 on December 19th. And I'm, I got AirPod whatever Pro in my head with with canceling technology. And I'm talking on an iPhone. And it's like going to get uploaded to this wild internet thing. This is, this is odd, man. It's not. It's the days of, well, the Greek word for, you know, disciple is blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like. Dude, you're like overly dissecting it. And this is from a guy who like, I'm in my head all the time, except for when I'm walking butt or exercising. I'm not in my head right now. I'm in your head. (laughs) I'm getting getting in your head. So what else happens? So there's, uh, they come back and we find out that uh, Peter and, John, who's not referred to as John, but just as the other disciple whom Jesus loved, 
he they uh, start running to the tomb. Like, oh, yeah, let's go check it out. We got to go check this out, man. That's what you don't get on Easter Sunday morning sitting in a pew. You don't get, hey, man. Just like imagine what that would have been like. It's like Mary goes, like, hey, dude, the tomb's, the stone is rolled away and it doesn't look like he's in there, man. And so what happened? So they're like, ah, let's go check it out. What would you do? Wouldn't you It'd be like, oh, man, what the heck's going on? The stones rolled away and there's no body in there. What the heck? What? You think they stole him? They took him away? What? <laughs> so they run to the tomb and it says that the other disciple got there first. So now we know that John's a better athlete, but he's really humble about it and doesn't, you know, doesn't doesn't come out and say like, well, I was running a seven minute mile and Peter can only Peter can only do a nine minute mile. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what's going on. So John gets there first. And he's writing down what happened, right? And well, I don't know why he writes down what he writes, but he, he wrote this. He said, yeah, I looked in and the other disciple looked in, but saw there was nothing there. But he didn't go in. He was kind of like, I don't know if he was afraid. He didn't really say. He just said he didn't go in. Then Peter finally shows up running his eight, nine minute mile pace. He shows up and is like, hey, I'm going right in, man. He, go, he just goes, I'm Peter, dude. What, the tomb's empty? Let's go. What? What? He just walks right in there and starts fiddling around, looking around. What's going on in here? Right? This is the kind of this is the kind of the way it was written and the way it was meant to be read. Not, you know, pontificating with a preacher voice like that. It's just read it. Right? So so they're in there looking around. It's confusing. And then at one point, somebody shows up, and Mary's like talking to this this guy, who John does identify as Jesus himself, but Mary doesn't recognize him. And John, John even writes it down. He like she thought she thought he was the gardener, right? So now, truth be told, I've heard a pastor mention this. How funny that is, right? So here's this guy, here's Jesus himself, resurrected, right? They, these people have hung out with him for three years or more or whatever, and he's there, but she didn't recognize him, so something looked different. I don't know exactly what it was, but he didn't look, like, angelic. He looked like the gardener, which is kind of weird, right? Like how you'd think that the guy would look like, you know, bright lights and music would be playing, like, woo something like that and there's jesus right but he just is like chilling i guess he looks like the gardener <laughs> i don't know if john's punking us or what i don't know but it was it was uh and how did he know i then they asked a question how would john know that mary thought he was the gardener because that's something you think in your head right and i'm one of my things is I got to stop trying to read people's minds. So that means I got to recognize when other people are reading people's minds, right? So that's a, that's a so what for a now what for you all listening. How often do you read or think you know what somebody else thinks? 
So here in the Bible, the inerrant word of God, we have John who who appears to be reading Mary's mind, right? Now, I, I actually don't think John is reading Mary's mind. What I think happened was later on, for years, because this is like when John's writing this gospel, it's like his looking back like 40 years or more. And he's writing this down. So probably for the next 40 years, Mary probably loves telling the story about what happened, right? She's she's probably laughing about it. She's like, I, I showed up at the tomb and this guy starts talking to me and I think he's the gardener, right? So that's why John didn't read her mind. It's It's got to be because they were talking about it and she was laughing or chuckling and she must have been embarrassed, right? She probably says like, John, remember when we went to the tomb and it was empty and and this guy came up and talked to me and I thought he was the gardener. I mean, I didn't, I mean, I was like, I couldn't believe Jesus was rose from the dead. It was crazy. I thought he was the gardener, right? And so they had to talk about it and they probably laughed about it, right? For years, whatever, however long Mary went forward with that. So this is the benefit of reading slowly, I guess, or just not rushing through things, not thinking we know the answer. And also that for some reason at this moment in my life, I need to know that this stuff is real, real people. And I'm not, I'm not talking to you to try to prove anything to you. I'm just saying, hey, I've read this stuff many, many times. I've heard people talk about it. But until I grasp it, it's like I said, going to the gym. You can get, you can go to the gym. You can think about getting a membership. But until you actually go start lifting the weights yourself, none of it matters. It's all just like knowledge and good ideas and good intentions. But when you read it yourself and you look at it and you go, yeah, how would, I mean, she probably was thinking that he was the gardener or something. She had some thought. She didn't recognize him. So he didn't look like, he wasn't like a bright light wasn't coming out of his chest with, uh, you know, background music or anything. It was just a dude. So much of a dude that she thought, he was the gardener. And uh, so that's reading this morning. And then what happens is Thomas doubts. It does say that John does give the detail that after Peter like rushed in there and uh, kind of was probably fiddling around because that's just the kind of guy Peter is, right? He doesn't, he's pretty bold. And uh, John, maybe a little insight, is a little more timid or whatever. But he goes in afterwards. And then it comes out and it says that at that point, he believed. He had faith. He's like, I think this dude, I think he really did resurrect. It's kind of crazy, man. I mean, they had to know the dude was like bizarre. That's why they, I mean, part of the interest for them to keep following him was he just, he was just an interesting dude. And they probably had, they were like, this is cool. Let's go follow this guy for three years, you know? 
And uh, so, yeah, there's John, the one, the beloved disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and he believed. And then they goes on, the story goes on. And there's a really curious thing that end at the end of chapter 20, which I'm confused about. But also, I'll get back to it tomorrow, and maybe I'll figure it out tomorrow, because I'm going to read chapter 21, which is the last chapter in the Gospel of John. So at this point, though, he ends with Thomas, doubting Thomas. And Jesus lets him check out like the wounds and the and the holes in his hands and things. You all know the story, right? It's just refreshing to read it again and then to think about it that you and I, two thousand years later, roughly, it's a faith. It's like we don't get to see like Jesus says, "Blessed are those who uh, believe and didn't see." And that's a gift of faith. And it's not a religion. This is not, I mean, outsiders and people want to describe it as a religion. It's just a faith. And walking in the spirit is just going, hey, man, I don't understand it. There's no rules to follow. See, this, this is the difference between a religion. They say, you got to follow this. You got to do this. You got to, oh, you got to do that. You got to believe this, and this is what you got to believe. And all Jesus asked you to do is, hey, man, I resurrected. Believe that. That's <laughs> it's as simple as that. Just believe that, you know? And that, you know, if you want to dig deeper, you know, and you could read all the everything else, but remember the dude on the cross next to him. He's like, you're going to be with me in paradise. You know, he's kind of like wink, wink, nod, nod. Like, uh, you don't have, there's, it's like my dad dying. It's like, I hope I did enough. It's like, that's not what it's about. I hope I did enough. <laughs> my dad, that's so funny. I was thinking about him this morning too, about October 5th. 2011. You can look it up. You can Google it. The same day that Steve Jobs died. So all you techno geeks who just love Steve Jobs, and I, I don't, I love him too. I love everybody, right? But I was a little bit more interested in my dad dying than Steve Jobs dying. But it was just such a symbolic, appropriate thing for me because I remember a couple years before, my dad was. I don't know, 86 or something. He's like sitting in his chair. He can't get around. He's all set. He's just, he's just chilling. And he's like, I wish I bought some more Apple stock. (laughs) And I, I had recently read this article about the worst stock trades of all time. And it was about Steve Jobs. And there was a time when Apple was struggling I think he, I don't know the full story. So you guys probably know the full story better than I do, but there, I, I don't know. He came back to be CEO or lead, lead the company and he owned a lot of stock and I don't know, something was going on. The company had some financial issues and I don't know why, but he sold a big portion of his 
shares at like seven bucks a share, really cheap or whatever. So that then like 10 years later that you, that people look back on it and they go, geez, Steve, he, he sold like a huge amount of his shares when at a time when the company was struggling. And it's like, dude, should have kept that. It would be worth $10 billion. <laughs> so, so those of you who are like really interested in money, you know, think about $10 billion that he just, eh, I think I'll sell these shares. You know, I don't know what happened. And so there's an article, if you Google it, it's about the worst stock trades. And some people will argue with it. I've, they've already said like, well, you know, it's not as simple as like he just woke up one morning and said, oh, I think I'm going to sell my shares. There was complications with the board members or something. So he was probably influenced to sell shares. But nonetheless, my comment to my dad was like, look, dad, if the CEO of Apple Computer, Steve Jobs, doesn't know that the stock is going to take off in the next five years and just be incredible company. What the hell chance does anybody else have? I mean, you're just sitting in a chair in Arizona. You don't know Jack about computers. <laughs> and, and you're like, oh, I'm such an idiot because I didn't buy Apple stock. And I'm like the CEO of the company, a guy insider. He is now $10 billion poor. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like fun? $10 billion poor because he sold stock in his own company. So kind of weird, but that's doing enough. Cause I do enough. So dad dies same day. So my dad, he's Irish background. We have the same sense of humor. Probably. I don't know. Obviously, they're different, but I must have got my sense of humor from my dad. And I am not, I will not be surprised. I don't know. We None of us know how this heaven thing is going to work out, right? Dying. We just don't know how it's going to work out. But I, I just have this feeling that somehow my dad is going to sit nearby Steve Jobs somewhere. And my dad's going to go, hey. Steve, are you Steve Jobs? Yeah, yeah, I'm Steve Jobs. Yeah, hey, uh, my son told me you're an idiot. <laughs> and I'm sure that happened like October 5th, 2011. <laughs> that my dad bumps into Steve Jobs up there. And, and God's like, uh, Steve? Dude, you're awesome, Steve. You you guys you did a good thing. You did your best. You did a, you raised a family. And dude, you made one hell of a computer company, man. One hell of a computer company. Yeah. So do you know this guy standing next to you? His name's John Ward. <laughs> no, I don't know. Well, he had about thirty more years on the planet than you did, but don't worry about it. Eternity is a long time, so we'll make up for it. But uh, 
plus, you know, you, you, you realize this earth thing is kind of, it kind of sucked down there. Right. And Steve's like, yeah, it, it did. You know, I did have fun. I like making the computers. I liked having 20 billion. I think I probably would have liked having $30 billion, but I don't know. I think I left a pretty good legacy for the family with $20 billion. You know, I think my kids and grandkids will do just fine with 20 bill. <laughs> yeah, well, you should talk to this uh, John Ward guy. Uh, he just got here, too. <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah. What, what do you got going on? Oh, I don't know. I live my life and, you know, did the best I could. But I got a story for you. Yeah, what's that? What's that? Well, one day a few years ago, I was just commenting to my son that uh, should have gotten some, should have bought some more of that Apple computer stock. And he goes, yeah, well, that probably would have been a good idea. <laughs> Steve Jobs tells my dad, yeah, that probably would have been a good idea. He's like, yeah, but, you know, I felt kind of bad about it, but my dad reminded me, he was like, you know, sometimes in buying stocks, you just never know what's going to happen in the future, right? And Steve's probably like, yeah, yeah, I know about that. Yeah, he said, you, he said, he said like, hey, if the CEO of a company doesn't even know what's going to happen, what the hell chance do we, do we have of investing in the stock, right? So, so what happens is he's, uh, so Steve Jobs listens goes, yeah, I think you're right. I can relate to that. <laughs> and my dad was like, yeah, he's talking about, my son was talking about you. <laughs> and he's like, well, I guess it doesn't matter now. Uh, where we're at now is uh, way better than Silicon Valley you know, in San Francisco. Even though they do, I do kind of miss that. Giordelli's chocolate or something. And that uh, seeing Alcatraz and having some of that clam chowder soup in the uh, Boudin's bread bucket or whatever they call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Jesus told me there's some pretty good stuff up here to eat too. So I don't think we'll be going hungry up here. So yeah, there's a little fantasy fictional story for you based on imagination. And Bud's too in a little bit of a long walk today. And I got to get back to what I'm doing. So I wanted to do the podcast just to kind of um, put some more, keep the pressure on myself. So I got to, this is, uh, I am talking to myself basically. But I'm talking to you too. I care about you guys. We're all heroes here. We all have our journey. And I, I like the framework. So whatever you're fighting with, battling with, yeah, it sucks. And probably nobody can relate to your battle. It's lonely. Because right? that's what it is. It's a lonely battle. And I, I do like the victor... Is it what I call it? Victor Prankel, I think his name is. Victor. 
Victor Prankle, I think. Gosh, I can, how quickly I forget. But I can find it. But he's the guy that wrote Man's Search for Meaning. And one of the ways we find meaning is figuring out what a good attitude is towards the unavoidable suffering we experience. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, I just submitted a job application again last night. It was not, not so much a job application, but some of the new thing is on LinkedIn. People, you know, companies are looking for jobs. It's a great time. And uh, I just haven't found the, bud, what do you want? Let's go this way, bud. Come on. Huh? Bud? You, can you go? No? You want to go? You got to go this way? What? Oh, man. So LinkedIn. Yeah. So LinkedIn, social media, jobs, all this kind of stuff. So there's an additive manufacturing company in Florida that's got some good future potential. It'll probably never be like a Apple computer company or anything. But they're in a field in a zone that's going to, something's going to happen. Additive manufacturing. And, uh, it's in the early stages of advancement. So, uh, it's kind of in my, an area I can contribute in, but it's gotta be, what I'm learning is like, I gotta, I gotta be operating in my strengths, which are strategic ideation, inclusion. So inclusion is really good for supply chain because there are lots of stakeholders in the supply chain. So that's the that's the role I need to be in. So I just fired off a a cover letter saying who I am, my experience, give them throw them a resume, which is kind of like all the stuff I've done. And uh, I don't know if I'm a fit. I'm not a fit. I don't know if I'm a fit for companies. I'm starting to think like, you know, it's there's, there's like one or two things. Like my my wife's cousin who does the um, coffee roasting in Germany. I've probably talked about this before, but it's kind of like, well, there's the business is roasting coffee and selling it, and and uh, can sell enough of it that you're you've got revenue. And it's, the revenue is greater than your cost. These are you know, obviously basic business things. You want to sell something. But when you're starting your own business like that, it's you end up doing a lot of things yourself. So I like using his company as an example for a lot of things. But, uh, and, not but. Get rid of the but. Forget that but. Erase that but. It's and. I like using his company as an example for a lot of things. And see, I gotta, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm transforming, learning how to speak better. And I don't realize some of my natural tendencies to use the word but. I gotta start using and more. It's inclusive. Anyway, right? So he needs someone to put beans, roasted beans in bags, like one pound bags, and then put beans in another one pound bag and another one pound bag and another one pound bag. So it's monotonous work, right? So overall, there's a lot more to the business than just putting 
beans in a bag. You know, there's buying the raw green beans from where you want to buy them from. What are you going to pay for them? When are they going to show up? When are you going to roast them? How are you going to roast them? And what how, what kind of mixtures and things do you do? And who are you going to sell it to? Right? And selling it is the key thing. And what's your differentiating? What's your competitive advantage? You know, what's your differentiation in your roasted coffee? But all included in that, there's a lot of tasks that have to be done, and one is bagging the beans. Now, when they're starting out, the dude's got, it's his own business, so he's he is uh, simply doing it himself. And he doesn't think of it as like, well, I'm doing beans and this bean process is only 10 bucks an hour. It's only worth 10 bucks an hour. But he's probably making, at the, even at the start, he's probably making 30 bucks an hour. But he's just doing it because you just, you can't analyze the crap on everything. You just got to do stuff, right? So he, he's just doing the bagging until the revenue gets up enough and he's busy enough with selling or whatever else. I mean, the early days of these things are really busy, right? So he's really busy doing this stuff. And, there, I'm, and this is 20 years later. I know it's a successful story. But eventually, he gets to the point where he's like, okay, I can hire someone to bag beans. So he hires someone. Right? Now, who does he want to hire? Like, is he, you know, the, this is the match, the fit, the elusive thing and so many of us think well i can do a lot of, i can bag beans but he's not going to pay me 30 dollars an hour to do it i mean he'll pay himself 30 dollars an hour to do it basically but he's not going to pay me 30 dollars. what's the difference well he's got he created it he created the value the value isn't in bagging the beans the value is in the, the strategy the idea how they're doing it so really, if my strengths are strategy and ideas, I guess I'm stuck being my own boss. I'm stuck being uh, a business owner. And I'm just coming to grips with that because it's not something I just like thought of because I always liked big projects like corporate jet engines. Or any engine, any any airplane engine, right? So um, yeah, that's that's where I've been playing, and I notice even in all my roles, I'm always tinkering around, like, well, how can we do this better? You know, how can we make this better? Because I'm I'm actually involved in fairly complex systems, not just bagging beans, right? But on the other hand, I am just bagging beans, right? So this is the, the challenge with corporations is. They make it sexy, you know, like, oh, we're working for this company, even at Apple Computer, for example. You know, there's probably guys working at Apple or Amazon. They're basically just doing routine things. And, and the big push in companies is to streamline the process. And streamlining the process helps the owner of the company, right? Like, if you think of yourself as a bag of bean dude, you're just bagging, putting beans in bags. The owner of the company is motivated to set up a system and process so that you could bag 30 bags of beans in 10 minutes 
instead of 10 or something, right? So the owner is going to be streamlining it. Now, in a lot of ways, the thing is to ask the employee, like, hey, uh, bag of bean, dude. Um, it looks like you're doing 10 bags an hour. What could we change so you could do 30 bags an hour or whatever, a minute or whatever, right? And the bag of bean dude, if he's, you know, if he's helpful and he's got some kind of strategy or ideation skills in him, he'll come up with ideas like, well, if we do this, we can move this machine over here. It's like right now um, the boxes of empty bags come up and they're like, I have to reach in and do this, you know. And then they optimize, you know, the owner's going, oh, well, I can change that. Oh, I can, I can get the bags to come in like this. Oh, you know, so he's asking questions of the bag of bean dude who, you know, he looks at as like, well, I'll pay, a, you know, a bag of bean dude 10 bucks an hour. And he's okay right now. It looks like he can do about 10 bags an hour. So, yeah, you know, so, but then he improves the process. So this is where the employees got, gets the entitlement mentality. He's like, well, wait a minute. Those are all my ideas. I, I uh, now can bag 30 an hour because of the ideas we implemented. But I'm still getting paid 10 bucks an hour, but I'm producing so much more. So at one time, they called it piecework in manufacturing. They used to say, like, well, hey, here's what we'll do is we want these bag of beans to cost uh, bagging it to be 50 cents a bag. But if you only do 10 an hour, then it's more, it's actually costing more. So what we'll do is we'll pay you uh, 25 cents a bag. You figure out how to do it and and we'll do that. So then the guy, the worker, sub-optimizes his job and says like, okay, well, I'm no longer getting 10 bucks an hour. I'm getting 25 cents a bag or a buck a bag or whatever, maybe 50 cents a bag or something. So now to make the math work, he's like, well, okay, I'll figure out a way to do these bags. And uh, you pay me 50 cents a bag. So then he goes, I got 30 an hour. That's 15 bucks. I just gave myself a 50% raise because I use my brain and figure out how to do it quicker. And that's wonderful, right? But then constraints come in. The guy's like, well... I'm only selling 20 bags an hour now, so I don't need 30 bags an hour. So I want you to go back to just doing 20 bags an hour to match the sales. And that means you only get 10 bucks an hour, you know. It's like, well, I still improved it from 10 to 20, but I got nothing. I got no, it's like, and the owner's like, well, thanks. That's what we pay you for, like, really. But they don't really pay you for that. They're not really paying for that. People say whatever they want, right? You know, and it's like, like some people would say, well, this is the case for unions, right? You've got to have a union, right? Because the management's going to take advantage of the worker. And I'm like, well, what's better is now the guy's like, well, wait a minute. I shouldn't even be bagging beans. What the hell? You know, I should be doing something else. And so they go and they go do something else. And maybe they get 15 bucks an hour doing something else. And the owner can decide like, well, no, I think this guy can... You can actually do more than bagging beans because that's what the owner does. The owner's doing more than bagging beans. He's out selling. He's out doing stuff. It's kind of like a matching skills 
as companies get bigger and they start having more than two or three employees, they start going, hey, wait, I really like this person's got a great attitude. And uh, let's see if we can move them into this position so they can really contribute more to what we're doing here. So that's just it. You know, if that's, that's the... I, I guess people would call that the capitalist system, right? That's what, kind of like the freedom system to me is also the just logical system. I'm sure that's the way it was 3,000 years ago before they had names for these things, right? So in some ways, these words become political weapons, right? Capitalism, socialism, right? But let's if you look back on history, 3,000 years, they... Everything's been, quote unquote, capitalism. They just didn't call it that, right? Everywhere. It's like whoever came up with a great idea benefited from it. And so I just caught a few minutes of entrepreneurial talk. And I'm mixing thoughts because I do appreciate the concept that every human is a business of one. So that's in the, the job search career people talk about that. My friend, Jade, no, she's not my friend, but I know who she is, JT O'Donnell, and she's online all the time helping people find jobs. And she tries to shift the mentality to everybody having the mindset of a business of one. Now, the people that are out of work, they can relate to that. But if you're been in a job for 20 years and have a entitlement mentality, you're kind of like, nah, I just, I'm just a cog in the wheel here, man. I'm just a cog in the wheel. I'm just churning out stuff, right? I would say 80% of the workforce probably, whatever that means, workforce, right? People that have been working at jobs for a long time, been at a company for a long time. You get a, like, hey, I've been here 10 years. And so the, it's, it's, a, it's that old school thought of like, hey, I got seniority, and, and you get it everywhere, like school teachers, professors, tenure. It's just the entitlement thing, you know? And yet, the best way to be is, no, you, we provide a service. We're a business of one. We bag beans or whatever we do. We develop skills. If you started out bagging beans and then you learn how to roast, you know, so you're adding a little more value because you're doing more value-added. Value-added works just means, okay, someone's got to put beans in the bag, all right? So that's it. You just put beans in the bag, right? Somebody's got to roast. Somebody's got to, when you're roasting, you got to keep track of the temperature, the time. It takes a little more skill, right? So it's, quote, and then it's not, people don't buy the beans because they're put in a bag nicely. They buy the beans because it tastes good, right? So that's all going back to the roasting. So there's no really magic formula to figure out like, well, a guy roasting should get paid 15 bucks an hour. A guy bagging should get 10, but the principle is there. And when you're the owner of the company and you're doing everything, it all gets mixed in together anyway. So the owner of the roasting company is just like, he doesn't, he just goes and roast. He just does the roast because he knows he needs to get a good quality roast. He doesn't, he doesn't say like, oh, okay, now I'm doing the value added thing, part of the business. So I'm going to pay myself 15 bucks an hour. And then he goes, oh, now I'm just bagging. So I'm only going to pay myself 10. The owner doesn't do that. He's just like, I'm doing it all. I'm just going to do it all, man. 
I got to get this thing going. So he does it all. And whatever the total works out at the end of the year, he knows the, the money doesn't magically appear at, at an hourly rate. It's like how many bags of coffee did he sell? How much did he sell them for? What was the price? Was the price right? That's a strategic decision. Like how much should I charge 10 bucks a bag? Should I charge 12 bucks a bag? That's his ownership strategy. But you can see if you were charging $10 a bag and now you're charging 20, that's a 20% increase in revenue. That's pretty good, right? Now, did the guy bagging the beans, did he have any input on that? Not really. So should he get paid more because the bags go up in price? But this gets that entitlement mentality. People work at companies and they look at things and they go, they find out, well, the owner just raised the price of the beans from 10 bucks a bag to 20 or to 12, that's a 20% increase. And the simplistic mind goes, oh, well, how come I didn't? I, I want a 20% raise then. You know? But they're just bagging beans. They're not adding value. They're not strategizing, right? And then the, the bag bean bag dude is like, well, how, what kind of, what? that doesn't sound like very much strategy, right? Just adding $2 a bag. That's not a strategy. But it's a risk, right? Because like if you raise it to 12 bucks a bag, maybe you won't sell as much, right? So that's all outside the coffee bean baggers swim lane, as they say. You know, what's your swim lane? Well, his swim lane is to bag beans, right? So it's all kind of mixed together, confusing. I don't even know why I'm talking about it. But I think I'm talking about it because... I need to run my own business because that's where I do best is thinking up strategy. And I have to have the confidence that I know how to do it. And I'm, I'm figuring out now I was, I did a really good job of making other people's money, but basically I was a, most of the time, I've been a coffee bean bagger. And even my, even though I bring strategy in these complex AV aerospace world, is the employees are not simply coffee bean baggers. It's the principle of Steve Jobs again about saying we don't hire smart people and tell them what to do. We hire smart people and they tell us what to do. Now, smart people after a while will shut down. Like every time you bring a great idea to the owner or management, depending on how the big corporation is, the management will have a tendency to like take the credit. They, that's a classic, like, oh, my manager's taking the credit. Well, they're not really taking the credit unless you're the owner. I mean, they, that's probably the sophisticated part of management is it's, it's kind of like deceptive in a way because the workers are given all these great ideas, but they don't seem to be reaping in the benefits. And that's when people start um, manipulating information and 
things like that. So, and that's probably just the nature of the thing. So, uh, the nature of the organizational structures. So, owner, that's risky, but it's probably the only way to be. So, back on business of one, you can, you can be an accountant, you can be marketer, you can be sales, you can be engineer. You're still, I mean, the, the emphasis that the career ladies emphasize is like, think of yourself as a business of one. What service do you provide? What do you, what skills do you bring? What service do you provide that either makes the company money or saves them money? So the coffee bean dude, if he comes up with an idea, he's like, hey, I'm industrious. I gotta figure out stuff. I optimize the system. I, you know, right now you're, what is your production? 10 bags an hour. Okay. Well, I'm pretty clever. I can probably get that up to 15, 20. And the owner's going to be like, oh, really? Wow, that sounds good. Then I won't have to hire uh, half as many people or something, right? So here's a business one entrepreneur, really. But we don't have that mindset, right? So and maybe even though she preaches that we all need, should have that mindset, and we should when we're looking for a job, it's just that not that many people look for jobs. They get into a company and then they just like, now they're like maximizing their opportunity within the organizational structure. So that's what people, and I think this is all subconscious. You know, people are like, well, I like working here. I like the benefits. Yeah, maybe my boss is going to retire next year. And so maybe I can move into that position. And the way you increase your revenue as an employee is to management promote it's, you know so that becomes a game so everything's pretty much a game and uh in fact that reminds me my wife and i were talking about that yesterday there's some she was commenting about how there's some uh, the, the crazy rich asians right so china and things like billions of people but there's there's a smaller group of Chinese people that are making huge dollars. And, uh, you know, the labor people like the Bernie Sanders is like, well, they're making money off the backs of other people. I'm like, well, I don't know. It's their system. There are, that's, it's all about systems and gaming it and coming up a way with, to make money off whatever system you're in. And that reminded me of the East Germans I know who joined the Communist Party and they were in the intellectual world or whatever and they played that game. It was a system, East German system. So humans, you know, we usually say, well, our system's better, our system's better. Well, our system is our system. I don't know if it's better. And, uh, there's gaming of it and the system has modifications it changes but it's it's being adept to maximizing whatever you want and the key is like what do you want what do you want and is wanting you know we're kind of taught that well wanting things is bad well if you want things that somebody else wants then there's probably a competition for it but there's also a growth mindset 
that says there's enough out there for everyone. And the, this current system right now is kind of like collaboration and working with people and not looking at everything as a zero-sum game. So it's quite possible that you could help me get an extra hundred dollars and the same time I'm helping you get two hundred dollars so we both come out winners and my hundred dollars doesn't come out of your pocket right and it gets complicated because some of these things may not happen at the same time so instead of looking at things everything as a transaction um, now I'm a loss for words because I don't know what to call it but not everything is a transaction. You know, it's kind of like a continuous thing. And uh, you may get your, your, you may help someone make $100 this month. And eight months later, because you help them make 100 you may get 200 So I, I guess it's an attitude of abundance maybe or collaboration or uh, what else is it um, yeah well I get, you get the idea so I think I'm uh, talked out on this I got a few um, minutes left in the podcast and I can always add segments like I this is a second segment of an initial five minutes, so I'm getting close to the end here. But let me get back. This is the, the main thing is I'm uh, I'm not going to do another podcast until I am like either in the last chapter or completely done. And then I'll probably do some cleanup. But I'll probably celebrate somehow. So I'll probably do a celebratory podcast when the book. I'm not going to podcast. That's it. I'm not podcasting until this book is done. And what I mean by book is done, it's just done for me. And I need to turn it over to some professionals to clean it up. I know it's not perfect. But it's going to be a lot better than the first revision. And the time that's been since the first writing. So now is clarity. I'm getting clarity on what to do. So it's been an interesting journey. I've gone from ranting and being pissed off, and I know I'm actually catching myself. Like, ooh, don't do that, because that's all that is is ranting and bitching about stuff. It's not helping. And uh, I don't know enough people that can remind me of that. And in a weird way, I wonder if it's because I'm six foot five, you know, and people, I, I do start thinking of these outward appearance things that, that people, I probably don't get enough constructive feedback because people probably go, shit, that dude's huge. I'm not going to tell, tell him anything. <laughs> That's pretty crude, but I think there's some truth to it that I, uh, People don't always tell you what they think. That's another tricky thing. So if you're blessed to be five foot ten, like right in the middle, you probably have better relationships than than I do. Six five, because people 
I, I keep I'm, I'm telling people like I didn't do anything. I'm not better than anybody because I'm six five. It's kind of like a curse, you know. Six five is a curse because it's like you're huge, dude. It's like what the hell, you know? You're kind of like definitely an outlier, man. And uh, don't know what to do with you. You're kind of a freakazoid, freak. And plus, you say wild ass shit, so you go ahead and keep saying that wild ass shit because uh, I'm not gonna tell you it sounds like wild ass shit. But but you go ahead and do, do it when when I probably shouldn't be saying some of the wild ass shit I say. I just go ahead and do it because it. Um, and it's not as simple as having a filter. It's because people in your life can help you build a better filter. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So that's it. That's pretty cool. So you all have a great day. I'll be back when I'm like 100% done, which really is it's not going to be 100% done. But when I'm like ready to send it off to somebody. And I may not send it off because I think I might be finished in uh, by this weekend. So I may actually give it to a bud and let him do something reading on it. And uh, maybe he'll have some comments for me. I'm sure anybody can have comments. Everything can be made better. Everything can be made better. And so, but I got to get it going. I got to get it out there. So uh, thanks for hanging in there with me when I told you about the last episode and I guess I'll call this the, I don't, I don't want to say it's the first episode. Let's call it the next episode or something. You'll know before, before I do, because I will have named it before I put it out there. So continued with the grace and mercy. May I have that as well. And that results in some nice peace. Peace, baby. So almost here. I see almost car. She's going to be happy to see Bud. And then she'll probably be happy to see me too. But uh, Bud is always gets the attraction. He's such a cute dog, right? And he doesn't talk back. <laughs> so grace, mercy, and peace. Amen.